Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, Jan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So where are you calling me in from? It looks very minimalistic in the background. <laughs> That's uh, Swiss design. Swiss design. <laughs> the best Swiss design. So you're in Swiss. Switzerland at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it must be quite late for you. It, well, it's okay. It's kind of it's 9 p.m. here. So 9 p.m. Well, you're doing an interview at 9 p.m. That's the real commitment to the cause. Yes. Yes. I love to uh, have the conversation with whoever... Uh, is willing to have it at any time. <laughs> so there's many things we can talk about, but I'm going to get straight into a new book that you wrote. Mm-hmm. You obviously have a very distinguished career and we can talk about many things there. So as you probably know, I'm a former strategy consulting partner at one of the big firms. And my network is investment bankers, private equity people, management consultants, CEOs, and so on. And one of the discussions I always have with them is that We will be talking about anything. We'll be talking about a problem they have in their business. And they'll be telling me something like, you know, Michael, we have to shut down an oil refinery today. And it's a very difficult day. And I always point out to them, in all of this discussion we have, why don't you talk about the love you have for your customers? (laughs) When I speak to young consultants and I look at what they're writing on Reddit and so they always talk about how hard the work is. They're working until 2 p.m. They're doing slides. But no one talks about that joy when you make a customer happy, when you connect with them. Someone gave me a book and said, hey, Michael, you always talk about this love for customers. Here's a book that's basically the same thing. And I was reading it, and what struck me was you you actually talk about the same thing, and very few people talk about this. So what I want to know is where did this come from? Because it's so obvious that you need it but it's gotten lost over time. Oh, Michael, I couldn't agree more with you. (laughs) So where it came from uh, for me is that I was, um, let's say, let's let's start late, okay? So I was was in medical training and went through the hoops. And this is, as everybody knows, this is a pretty uh, kind of tough study, course of studies. And then you go into another five, six years of being a resident and learning all the things in real life. Yeah. And, um, and then I went through kind of a classic medical career. Okay. So I became a professor and then I was advising and I was doing research and working with the World Health Organization and CDC and NIH. So with, you know, really interesting organizations, fantastic people doing really yeah. interesting things. And I enjoyed that. And at the same time, increasingly, I realized how something is missing. And I realized how my entire focus was on problems. And then very late, I understood that this is how our brain works. (laughs) It is is a machine that is designed, it's not a machine, but it's it's a device that is designed to solve problems. It's discerning. That's the real power of, of our cognitive capacity. And so 
problems are like the, the fuel for our mind yes. and for our brains, right? So we're naturally attracted to that. Like bad memories stick. That's a good idea for survival, right? So you yeah. don't do the same nonsense again, right? So that's a really good idea. But it's a really a survival level of living. And if we want to thrive beyond survival, if we want to actually enjoy, and if we want to really fully savor what life has on offer, then uh, there is a way to go beyond that. And that means to actually give attention to what gives us joy, what really fulfills. And I don't mean satisfaction, like, oh, this is a savory taste or this yes. is a lovely smell. That's also nice sensory impressions, but, but really deep, heartfelt joy, <laughs> fulfillment. Yes. What you described about the customers, right? Where you, isn't it, isn't it exactly these moments that really make it worth doing yes. the thing that we do is because we feel like, whoa, this was a great connection. This was a great day that we actually accomplished something together. And it wasn't a fight. It wasn't about winning. It wasn't about any of that, right? Or in, in, with yeah. patients. The same thing is it isn't about, I'm the doctor, I have the solution and you're the yes. patient and you have the problem, right? <laughs> so, so how can we actually move beyond that and, and create an environment where we feel that we actually live our life's purpose, our life's mission, and, and every day feels like worth living. And yeah, I agree with you. There's so much in parallel between medicine and any kind of consultation, any yes. kind of leadership, any kind of, whenever we feel responsible for clients, for our teams, for, isn't that actually what we want to live up to? And when you wrote out these letters to your goddaughter. Yeah. These were actual letters you wrote to her. Yeah, so these were... She's a very lucky goddaughter, I'll tell, I'll tell <laughs> you. That. Yeah, so they were, they were like delivered to her as a package because I was actually trying to come to terms. I realized how deeply conditioned I was. And so while I was writing this and together with the, uh, with, with the co-author, Arjuna Arda, who, who was yes. my coach and who actually helped me to, to look at things in a different kind of way. Um, this was really helpful. And as, as I was kind of reviewing what I'm actually doing and reflecting on how much I'm focused on problems and how much I'm living in emergency mode and yeah. how much I'm living on sleep deprivation and poor nutrition and, and even feeling quite heroic about it, you know, kind of yes, what a martyrdom as a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? So I actually had no, not a very good understanding about what it means to really give attention to health and and to and and so on a fundamental level i guess i wasn't really credible for my patients because if i'm you know if i'm not taking my medicine then yes <laughs> that doesn't really make sense and i guess it's similar to leadership isn't isn't that your experience as well yeah you, you use a good word here you use what credibility I mean, leadership, we use the word authenticity in my yes. It's the same thing. But what you said is very true here. Typically, when in consulting, anyone, I'm sure you have the same experience in medicine, when you meet a client like a CEO, initially you are there to solve a problem for them. Mm -hmm. That's why they, they call you up. Mm -hmm. But over time, as you develop a relationship with them, yeah. you're not solving a problem for them. You're generally counseling them in their life. Mm -hmm. And what I find is if you're not credible, you don't build a relationship. After time, they will see through you. They will know that you are just saying certain things, you're doing certain things, but it's not who you are. 
So the, the authenticity part, the credibility part, I find in the long term, it's the only way to have a sustainable relationship with people. Otherwise, it all falls apart. But beyond that, when you meet a service provider for the first time, whether it's a doctor, a lawyer, or so on, I mean, I don't know how you make decisions, but I'm not going to hire the person who has the biggest resume from the best schools if they have no empathy towards me. And that's what I really liked about your writing style. It's about servant leadership. Mm -hmm. It's basically about leadership. I mean, all those letters you wrote to your daughter is about leadership. It's what leadership is, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting you read it like that. I read it as a leadership because the way I thought about it is I thought, what kind of woman will this child be when she grows up if this is the operating system, because you basically gave an operating system in her mind for the way she needs to think about problems. And I thought, well, I would want to be led by someone who's following these rules in life. So for me, it was a leadership book. I said purely as a leadership book. And that's why people gave it to me and said, this is a great book on leadership. Oh, interesting. And you never saw it as a leadership book, but that's how I saw it. And in fact, it's one of the books I'll be recommending to people to read. Because we always recommend books that we find. I thought, wow, this is a great leadership book. This is how leaders need to think. It's not about money. It's not about profits. It's not about all those fancy things. It's about caring. Do you care enough to do this? And do you take care of yourself so you can care for people? Because many people don't take care of themselves. They suffer from burnout at the age of 35, but they don't realize they have a gift to give the world, but they can't give it because they burned out by 35, right? It's just a bad way to, to run your life. It's so true. And it's interesting you're saying this, that I'm just kind of, I'm reflecting on, <laughs> I'd love to hear more about what you um, perceive as is really helpful for leadership here. Um, what I realized is that uh, my my wife was working in Zurich at the university yeah. and I was, I worked in the university hospital in Basel. And so um, I, at some point we have, you know, we have three children, twins and, and, and a third one. And uh, we decided, oof, this this kind of you know moving back and forth yeah. between cities is kind of strenuous, and so why don't we just start a little practice? Um, and so my wife started a practice, and I said, yeah, I know a little bit about you know how to start a business, and so I can help you with this. And yeah. then gradually it went, and it it continued and continued. We felt maybe two or three physicians, and and we said there's one thing that we want to follow, and that's really being heart based and really yeah. make sure that people know that they're cared for. And um, this is all we've done. And ever since people have asked us, like we, we hardly looked for collaborators, for partners, yeah. for, for team members. People have said like, oh, this sounds like so cool what you're doing. And, and can I be part of the team? And patients were signing up. And so now it's like, it's incredibly successful and going way beyond our expectations. And all is that we've, we've never looked at the bottom line, right? As in- yes as in like we want to increase the bottom line yeah. or work for shareholder value which we don't even have right but yes. something like that but it was just looking at at what is it that our clients our patients are looking for and how can we best serve them and that worked a treat <laughs> yes what you say makes perfect sense because whenever you're building anything you don't set out a goal to make 10 percent, 20 percent more profit or revenue no what you should do is say how do I best delight my customers? Mm-hmm. And profits would be a byproduct of them. It's the byproduct, right? You don't have to worry about it. You take care of your customers. 
and you operate with some common sense, you're going to do well. You asked me about where are the principles in leadership in the book. Yeah. To me, the, the whole book is about leadership. And, and I'll tell you why, because what happens when we train leaders today, I speak to leaders all over the world every day, is we teach them technical skills. Yes. We teach them how to transform a bank, how to right-size a business. We teach them a lot of technical skills. And at the same time, we also reward them for getting them to do difficult things. But the problem here is that if you teach someone these very powerful skills and they don't care about how they use those skills, that's when you see bad corporate decisions being done. Yes. So a good example of this is um, I used to work in the resources sector, which is like drilling for oil, gas, and so on. And I remember once serving a CEO in Latin America. And the problem they had is whenever you mine all the byproduct, which is very dangerous chemicals, you need to put it into a dam. Mm -hmm. So you got a dam full of dangerous chemicals. And this dam burst. And it had, you know, caused a tremendous disaster. And we were talking about, you know, why did this happen? You know, why did the engineers not know that the dam walls were not mm -hmm. strong enough? And, and it was a very technical discussion. But at the end of the day, I remember when the C and I were talking about it. It's really because the previous leadership just didn't care. <laughs> you can call it, we can call it an engineering problem. It was not an engineering problem. At the end of the day, they decided let's not spend $100 million here, let's put it into our profits. So for me, when I was reading this, I thought if everyone made decisions like this and then we put the technical skills on that person, yes. that's the kind of person I'd want to be led by. I couldn't agree more. I mean, when you look at the, the health environment, um, the, the mortality um, yeah. due to medical errors, is in the US, it's it's number one, right? It's it's yes. like the leading cause yeah. of death, right? <laughs> so that's not exactly a good sign for healthcare. Yeah. So if I just from my own experience and from you know looking at some data, um, if I look at the critical incidence reports, then they're all classified, and the solution to critical incidence management is somewhere along the lines of we need a new algorithm, a new policy, a new yeah. something, right? Something technical. <laughs> and fundamentally, what is missing is care. So if we were just asking, would you have made the same mistake if the patient was your mother or your daughter? That's a great question. I like that. The answer would be no, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so, or most likely no. I guess we would, we would bring it down to a, a hundredth. <laughs> Yeah. Of, of the current number of medical errors if we just looked at care. So I believe most of the medical errors, and that means, you know, one of the major cause of mortality, at least in the US, and I guess in many other countries as well, is, is actually a lack of care. Yeah. And that's not, I just want to be clear here, that's not due to the physicians and the nurses or whoever is in contact and is, in, is part of this, um, is, is, a careless person, not at all. Everybody uh, tries their level best, but we're we're misled in how where we give attention. Right? Yes. We've gone down so much the quality control kind of route um, that this has we've we've lost contact with our heart wisdom and with our honest care. And if we just give this a little bit more attention, then everybody who really actually cares 
would have the benefit of putting the heart first and then backing that up with all the great things you've learned at school. Yeah, it's very practical because one of the dangers about listening to this podcast is we talk about care, empathy, and they're very touchy-feely subjects. But I remember talking to the CEO of a small American hospital system a few years ago, and they had always had the worst ratings, the worst rankings, the worst customer feedback. And I asked him, you know, what did you do to bring care into your business? Because everyone talks about it. What did you do differently? Because you've done very well, expanded, profitable, highly ranked. But what is the one thing you did? He said, well, the one thing I did is uh, when I, before I took over the hospital group, I told my wife it's going to be a difficult journey for at least five years. So why don't we go on a vacation? And he said he took his wife to the Four Seasons in Hawaii. Hmm. And he watched how they took care of people. Ah. And he said that they put the customer first. And when he went back to the hospital, he did very simple things. He just spent days following the life of a customer. And he said, what are the things that are going to irritate customers? And why do they have to fill in so many forms when they come in? Why can't some of the forms be pre-filled out for them? We have the information. They just check it and sign it. And then he said, why don't we send them the forms before they come in? And he said, all these little things. He just went through, spent a day in the life. He never stayed in his office. He wanted to experience the pain points and he fixed it. And this is what care is, right? That's what you're talking about. It's not yeah. just touchy-feely. It's about adjusting a system so that you put the customer first. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, so there's there, there's something I, I just had a couple of days ago. I had a conversation with him with a musician. Yeah. And uh, I learned the, the the distinction between musicians and instrumentalists. Oh, there is a distinction. What's the distinction? And I just love that, right? So you yeah. can like a musician is somebody who's really kind of living it and uh, and appreciating the yes. art and appreciating the the really showing up as a full human being with every one of their cells. Yeah. And, and then there's a possibility to be a technical virtuoso. Yes. Which can be very fascinating, but it, it's kind of empty, right? Yes. There's something missing. And, and that's where the authenticity is missing. Or that's when the music is, is really kind of resonating. And the, the other thing that comes to mind when, from what you just said is, um, we're using different terms um, and maybe um, maybe it's useful to, I think they are used interchangeably and maybe it's useful to, to differentiate a little bit. What do we mean by empathy? What mm -hmm. do we mean by mindfulness? What do we mean by compassion? And they're not quite um, interchangeable. Yes. When I look at the, the research that's done in this direction, one of the really helpful um, distinctions here um, I think it's mostly rooted in work from, from uh, Tanya Singer at the Max Planck Institute in Germany. And um, so, so one way to look at this is that empathy is a possibility to, or is the ability to resonate. So I can, I can feel what you feel. Okay? Yes. So, so when you cry, I cry. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and there are many, many situations where that happens in childhood. This is most unfiltered in children. We can see this yeah. very beautifully, right? But everybody has that, kind of capacity to be empathetic. And then there's a way to be sympathetic, which means I can feel with you, right? <laughs> um, that doesn't mean that I am identifying with, I'm not feeling your feelings as mine, but I feel your feelings and I recognize that your feelings, 
Yes, yes. And then there's compassion. And compassion is, is, has an intention. It has an intention of feeling for you, right? And that makes such a big difference. This is the CEO who went to, to, to Hawaii yeah. and to learn about care. So this is somebody who's really, who cares for the next job that he's going to start in a bit, right? And in anticipation, he's observing and sees how they're caring for, and then it works. And then, then you don't get these things that you sometimes get in the restaurant, like, like was everything all right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and you know it's empty, right? They don't yeah. actually care. No, they don't care at all. And they actually annoy you a little bit when they ask that question, and you know they don't care. But I like you, you've distinguished those uh, definitions because they actually matter. And we do use them interchangeably, but they have different, they have very different meanings. Yes. Because intent is a very important thing. You can yes. empathize with someone because you just have that character trait and you do it all the time. But mm -hmm. compassion is something you can turn on or off. Mm -hmm. You can decide, okay, this matters to me. I'm going to show compassion here. Mm -hmm. In this area of life, it's not that important to me. I'm going to pull away from it. So, Michael, I'm curious. Let me ask you a question here because sure. you really got me thinking. <laughs> I love that. So, to me, when I look at you know 25 years of caring for kids, yeah, um, that's amazing. Then there are the the stellar moments when I'm you know very humbly honest. <laughs> then, yeah. um, the stellar moments are the ones where I was kind of not the one doing something. Yeah, but I was available for the patient, listening, open, curious, quite often actually starting from a helplessness where I say, well, I don't, I don't really know what to do. I don't have any trickery algorithms, something yeah. that I learned in school here. So I'm really called forth now. Yeah. And so then I'm really opening up for the patient and then something kind of magical happens in my ignorance, in my openness, in my curiosity. And from what the interaction with the patient and there's something that is something new emerges that wasn't really seen or understood by the patient before or or myself and and those were usually the moments where i felt really completely fulfilled <laughs> they were mm. like the stellar moments so a little bit embarrassing that you go to school for so long and the stellar moments are those where you actually didn't contribute based on all the things you've learned but that's what it is how is this for you? Like in, when you look at leadership situations, when you look at business situations, negotiation situations, does that occur where you kind of have an idea and a strategy and you realize there are moments that you haven't prepared for and they're actually the gems? That's a great question. I think about that a lot, actually, because huh. I think about my career, but I also think about the executives and consultants and bankers I'm now coaching and mentoring. Yeah. And the answer is that, yes, what you've outlined very well is something that's happened for me. Uh -huh. It's also something that happens for clients. But I think there's a deeper nuance here in the sense that when we are young, we are taught that we must have the answer. We are taught that if you arrive in a meeting, you must be the expert. You must know the answer. And in fact, your self-esteem, your confidence and so on is built around almost never being someone who can admit you are wrong. Yeah. Right? You come in there and you, you, you have the answers. You must know everything. 
And you must know everything with absolute certainty as well. I think that's also important. And if you lack certainty, you feel like you failed. But what I found is that when you go into a situation where you are solving something, I wouldn't say solving, I would say exploring a situation with the customer where you don't know all the answers. He knows you don't know all the answers. He appreciates the parts you can contribute to. You know that he can contribute to some things that you cannot bring in and you co-create it. Yes. That's by far always the best thing in the world because, and I'll tell you why it feels good. It feels good because they're accepting you for your, for your flaws. They're not just there because, well, you went to the school, you gave me the answer, and I expect you to say, you know what? We created something better together mm. when we worked together, mm. and it's that whole journey we went through. Mm. And one of the things is I tell all customers, people we mentor and coach now, is that that's the kind of level of interaction you want to get to. That's yeah. a much more mature level of interaction. Yes. And if you can get to that, that's leadership for me. Because not everything is dependent on you. You are not the bottleneck. People are not waiting for you to arrive at 9 a.m. with the answer. No, you are almost like the conductor of an orchestra. You're getting all the pieces to work together. And, and I always tell people, once you get to that point where you don't think of yourself as an expert, but where you, you start a conversation, you don't know where it's going to go, but you have the confidence that a good answer is going to come out even if you were not the main person to bring it out. So, so the way I tell people, don't be someone who seeks credit for having the best answer, but be someone who seeks credit for getting to the best answer, even if it didn't come from you. You could have just seeded the discussion. You could have started the discussion. For me, if you're at that level now and you, from your writing, you can see you're at that level, then you're going to do amazing things in the world. It's really, ah, I so appreciate your words. I really appreciate I your experience here. So what it, what it reminds me of is when I, when I take a patient history, yeah. then um, there is a way that we've learned to do this as physicians, right? So yeah. there's a way that you kind of, the aim isn't really to serve the patient here. The clearly stated aim is that you arrive at a diagnosis, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so you basically run down an algorithm it's like, so every question is like a, like a test, like a lab test. It has yeah. a sensitivity and a specificity and a positive predictor. Yeah. So, so whatever I ask, I'm trying to figure out which, which diagnosis is it. Right? Yeah. So what sounds like an, e an easy conversation actually is quite strategic. Yeah. And the patient feels this, right? They're not like, everybody knows whether they're part of some kind of sales yeah. funnel, if you like, or they're yes, part of a strategic <laughs> A strategic rundown or whether this is actually a shared exploration and yeah. a true interest. And it completely changes the answer. Like when we started experimenting with this, it's not just that my experience changes. It's not just that the patient is more relaxed, but actually the way the the place from where I'm listening and the intention that I'm listening with changes the answers that I'm getting. I'm kind of sending yes. a different message, even if it's nonverbal. And, and that is seen and felt and this builds trust and, and people tell me different kinds of stories. Yes. So it's totally worth it. The credit seeking part in this is really interesting. That's when it gets, that's kind of where it gets tough, right? Because then you need to be really humble and open to learn mm -hmm. 
because I, I call this like the beggar in me, right? I recognize yeah. I have different personality parts. And one part of me is, is egotistic, right? It's egocentric and it wants to be applauded and it wants to have credit and it wants to, that's that part, right? That, that yeah. wants that. And um, to see when this is actually stepping forward <laughs> on the, uh, in, the, in the theater, right? Yes. When this is kind of claiming the limelight, then that's really, that's really humbling and important to recognize. Like when, when am I acting from a place of being generous and, and yes. actually curious? And when am I acting from, when is that part active? And when is the other part active that is actually a little bit greedy and wants to have credit? Yeah. And that's sometimes not so easy to accept. And this is really good when you have a consultant or a coach like yourself to, to help and to call that out. So I, for me, this was really important to work with my coach, Arjuna, my co-author. Um, that really helped um, to, to start reflecting about things that where I have blind spots. Yeah, that's right. You know, we're talking about credit and so on. One of the difficult things is that if you look at the professions you're in, it tends to attract people that want significance in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, bankers, consultants, uh, doctors, <laughs> lawyers. These are people that are very determined. They've worked very hard. They tend to want to be in the center of the action. But yeah. the danger is always, what if the recommendation for a patient or a client doesn't have to be exciting? You know, I've got investment banking clients whereby I always have to caution them. Is this the deal you want to do? Or is this mm -hmm. the deal that's best for the client? Yeah. I've got clients who will come in and tell me, Michael, this is going to be the deal of my career. How do I do it? And they say, well, yes, but does the customer need this deal? Because if you're doing it for yourself, then you're driven by significance. And that's a very dangerous trait. Ah, love it. Yes. Wow, I'm just reminded by the <laughs> this conversation reminds me of two years ago when we had a, a first uh, summit in, in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, somebody who actually also came from the kind of financial world yeah. said, if I look at the logo of heart-based medicine, then I kind of draw a line underneath heart-based and then just imagine the medicine is like on a swivel and you go like consulting, hotel, gastronomy, yeah. flight, travel. <laughs> <laughs> You're already seeing a business empire. <laughs> no, no, but the, the idea is like, this is such a fundamental principle that, that kind of, if we ask the question, what if, yes. so what if we actually start acting from a place of true care? Yes. What if we dare to do that? And it may look insecure, it may look less controllable, but at the end, we're actually serving a much bigger purpose. If we're ready to dare that, yeah. uh, to take that risk, then, then that's actually a common principle that applies to different industries. And, and I, I just, by the conversation with you, I love the idea that we actually get together with, with people from different industries and we compare notes and see like, yes. where, where are the parallels? And where are the fundamentals? And where can we kind of learn from each other from other arenas? So I, I, I love the idea that you read Dare to Care, like the letters to my goddaughter and you see it as a leadership. Group. Oh, definitely. And it's yeah. example you were telling me about the discussion with the finance guy. It's really asking the question, what business are you in? Because you see yourself as a medical business. Yeah. But you may not be a medical business. You may be a care-based organization yeah. that is currently operating in the medical field. Yeah. And you can take the same principles to hospitality the same way yeah. the CEO I mentioned before 
took the four seasons principles and brought it into medicine. So, so four seasons is their core business is taking care of people, care. And they just happen to be in the hospital space. But if they took those principles to other industries, can you imagine the effect? Can you imagine flying on an airline that was run like for four seasons? I would fly on that airline. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so everything you say makes a lot of sense, but it all comes back down to this set of principles that you outlined to your goddaughter. And they're so powerful. They, they can go across sectors, across industries. I can see them being applied in banking, into management consulting, the industry. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good reference point, but I like to say filters for making decisions. Mm -hmm. Because often what happens is that when I talk to clients, they always get frustrated when they're making a decision. But then I tell them the reason you're frustrated is because you don't have a way of making a decision. So your brain fries up. But if you had a set of operating principles that you apply to every decision, then you wouldn't get worried because you know, okay, this, if you make this decision, these are the principles, do these breach my principles. So when I was reading the, the letters, I looked at it in that way. You're not telling your goddaughter what to do, but you're almost telling her these are the implications. So think about this, consider this. You know, when I was reading it, a few words came to mind for me. The first one is uh, appreciation. Yeah. You have to appreciate things, right? You know, appreciation, if you don't appreciate things, life is going to be very sad for you. It's going to be, it doesn't mean no joy. You always find a reason to not enjoy now because you think joy is something you get. Joy is not something you get. Joy is something you give. You give joy to a moment, right? You don't go to a moment and you get joy from it because everyone has different experiences. The other thing I liked about the way you wrote the letters is there's a clear lack of judgment there. Mm -hmm. There's no judgment. There's no part of it where you're judging someone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key one. So... The third word is expectations. Oftentimes, when we are sad or upset or crying about something, it's only because what happened didn't meet our expectations, if you think about it. Right? Like, why did this lady leave me after 10 years of marriage? Because she found something better, right? You expected it to last forever. It didn't meet your expectations, but why don't you appreciate the fact that she gave you 10 years? And most yes. people don't even get 10 years, right? So when I was reading the book, three words, expectation, came up, jumped out, no judgments, appreciation. Those are three words that were very capture of the way you were writing. And it really mm. resonated with me because I think mm. that's the way you got to think about leadership as well. Because if you don't think that way, how do you bring that to your people? It's very hard to do that. Yeah, wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's beautiful to hear. And we could, what do you think about... Um, I'll, I'll definitely I need to read the book again <laughs> with a different like with a different mindset so um what do you think about so one one word that is also kind of very high up on that list mm -hmm. that could be part of this group is forgiveness yeah I think that's very important I think that you know I deal with a lot of clients powerful people right and I can tell you right now that for all of them, all of the issues stem from childhood. Mm. And this is for everyone in the world. If you, if you really think about it deeply, something happened to you when you were a child, mm. which became a reference point for everything else. 
Even if you think about food, why do you like certain food? Because when you're young, there was a memory attached to that food, right? That's why you like it. So what happens with a lot of people, and for everyone from what I've seen, is that something happens when they are a child. They then use that lesson to make decisions when they're a young adult. But what they fail to understand is a child is just a child. You, you have no way of reasoning what happened. So any rules you create when you're a child are bound to set you up for failure because you were a child. So they experience something, they get into adulthood and they use these rules. And it doesn't work because you were a child creating rules. And then they punish themselves. Everyone I've ever spoken to, no matter how much money they have, no matter how successful they are, fundamentally, they just want to be seen and appreciated. And when they don't get it, they first think it's their fault. Yeah. And they don't forgive themselves. So when you talk about forgiveness, I was thinking about forgiving yourself first. Yes. yes. If you can't forgive yourself, how are you going to forgive others? Because you know yourself better, right? So whenever I deal with executives, and mm-hmm. I also have some surgeons and so on to work with, and they're so hard on themselves. And I say, look, if you're so hard on yourself, mm-hmm. you're not going to appreciate the lessons you get in life. So let's just say something bad happened now when you're at a time when you can deal with it, when you have the financial resources to manage it, is far better than later. So you got to appreciate the lessons there. Mm-hmm. You can see that something bad, you can just call it a lesson and move on. Mm-hmm. But this thing about forgiving yourself is an important one. And when we deal with people, we find that most of the stress and tension in their life is because they can't move on. They're just stuck and punishing themselves repeatedly and repeatedly. And it then manifests itself in decisions they take. If you believe that you deserve to be punished, what kind of life are you going to have? Mm-hmm. You're going to say, well, this is normal. I'm suffering in my career, but it's normal for me. I deserve it. So that, that foundational operating system is very important. You've got to accept you made some bad mistakes. Forgive yourself. Move on. And I would say that one of the best things I've seen people do is journal and document your mistakes. Mm-hmm. Because, wow, you don't want to make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, if you made a mistake somewhere in the world, there's a million people about to make those mistakes. And they would appreciate reading about what you went through. <laughs> so forgiveness is a big one. And not many people talk about it. And See, this is why I think your book is about leadership. Because true leadership is about understanding who you are. Mm-hmm. That's true leadership. You can't lead until you understand who you are. Because... You can only surround yourself by the people you need if you know what you don't have. So when you're building a team, you've got to start with saying, who am I as a person? What drives me? What are my key drivers in life? What balance do I need? If I cannot forgive myself, how am I going to forgive my team members? Why would I surround myself with good people and deliberately punish them because I've never learned how to forgive myself? And I think that's leadership, right? It's a very empathy-based leadership. Your book teaches all of that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with your goddaughters and her career. I'm going to be following. We'll follow up. <laughs> so you can see how it is about leadership. I mean, you mm-hmm. can cut many, any ways you want, but it is definitely about leadership. It's maybe the most central part of leadership. Know yourself. Care for others and all good things will happen. I love what you're saying. And there's, I wonder what you think about this. So when, when we say know yourself, yeah. Um, to me, there's like, there's kind of two levels of self, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So one is 
I call this like the, the little me. Yeah. <laughs> and the little me is, is the one with concerns and it has kind of different aspects of its personality yes. and it has, you know, courageous and afraid parts. And it has, you know, more the manager and more the creative part. And it has like, you know, all the, the different polarities that, that make up my personality mix. Right. And, and there, all of these parts have kind of interests and wishes and desires and yes. competences and all of that. That's sort of the little me. And then there's a, a, a sense of self that is looking at these parts, that is aware yeah. of these parts. And this awareness that is aware of the little me yeah. is like a, I don't know, a, a bigger me or something, a wider me. Yes. And this actually is the place where I feel authentic resonance with yeah. other people whether this is a patient or a friend or my wife or my children or a, whoever, a team, a team member, that's, or a plant or an animal for that reason, right? Yes. Or a beautiful sunset or something, right? Where, where there isn't the, the truly felt joy, the truly felt uh, aliveness. Yes. Um, that is not so much felt from the little me, but more from an awareness that is aware yes. of these little roles that I play, right? Yeah. So what might be a way to bring this into leadership or what might be a way to bring this into, let me ask you as a leadership coach, what would you see, what could be a way to bring this into, into the medical world? So could this be, do we have to start at school? As you said, hey, it starts yeah. in childhood. <laughs> is this where we need to start and, and what do we do with those that are already on the journey and realizing there's something missing i'm looking for something and i can't quite pinpoint it that's a great question i love it i like the way you framed it the very eloquent the little me the big me it's a good language because the language you choose obviously determines the way you think about things right if you use negative language it's negative thoughts when you talk about a little me it's a great choice of words because a little person needs to be protected, right? Can you imagine what would happen in your life if the little me wasn't terrified? Mm -hmm. right? It just wouldn't work. So when you talk about little me, the way I think about it is, is I call it identity. Yeah. So who are you as a person truly? Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing here is you talk about little me and the big me, there has to be congruence because mm -hmm. everything you do in life, what I've noticed with people is when they start off their life, they either don't know their identity or they're told to pursue a life for a number of reasons, whether it's peer pressure and so on, that is not their identity. Mm -hmm. A simple example of this is someone who's painfully introverted, mm -hmm. but at the office, they have to take a speaking role. <laughs> now, what do you think that person does on a Saturday or Sunday? Mm -hmm. They will go home and hide from everyone. So what they do here is that the way I see it is the big me is, is your interaction with the world. The little me is your identity. The most important thing I've seen with clients is that everything in your life is a battle to get back to your identity and your identity will win. So maybe you can push out your identity for, for 10 years, for 20 years. But you know, people say, well, I have a midlife crisis. Really what's happening is they are shifting back to their identity. <laughs> They've built a life that's not supporting their identity. They thought they can do it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. 
And then when they get to 45, 55, they say, you know what, I'm not happy. But why are you not happy? Your life is, you built your life. Well, it's a life you didn't really want. So when you talk about teaching people, I actually, I actually thought about this a lot. And I always said that the way I'd raise children is I'd raise it on the, I think it's the Nordic model. But basically, I love this, whereby I read in a newspaper somewhere that um, when children in, I think it's Norway, when they're young, they are not told or not uh, pushed into figuring out who's winning in a soccer match. <laughs> Until I think 14 years or so on, you need to enjoy. You need to enjoy the game, learn to like it. You must be doing it because you're enjoying it. And only later competition is, is brought in. The reason I'm, I'm mentioning this is because when you talk about how do we teach us at a young age, I think the first thing, what's important is people need to know what their identity is. <laughs> and, and I feel we force it out of people. <laughs> When you go to an MBA program, they all want you to be aggressive. Yes. <laughs> but not everyone's aggressive. So what happens is people pretend to be aggressive. They take aggressive roles. I'll give you a very good example of this. Right? I once had a, once recently actually had a client in investment banking. And this lady just came from management consulting. And she was a good management consultant. Very sweet lady. I'm sure that she had a, a godfather like you that raised her well. And then she went into investment banking and it was really tough for her. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me that clients are very difficult. And she wants me to teach her how to speak to them so that she can control them. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, well, I can teach you this, but are you going to be happy with the person you will become mm -hmm. once you learn how to talk to them? Sweetness. Mm -hmm. Because if, if that's not your identity, you're going to do it for five, 10 years, and then you're going to feel hollowed out afterwards. So for me, if we can teach people at a young age to, to know who they are, be confident about who they are, don't feel embarrassed about it, make choices that speak to identity, I think it'll be amazing. Do you have any kids today go to university when they shouldn't go to university? They should go to a vocational college and learn a technical skill. They go there, they fail, they suffer from confidence problems, they think they're a failure, but they're not a failure. They shouldn't have been in university in the first place, right? That's just a deviation from your identity. So this identity thing and about knowing your little self and protecting it and having congruency with the world is everything. If you don't do that, your life eventually collapses, becomes painful. So I always tell people, you got to know your identity. Don't be embarrassed if you are this person. This is who you are. Someone's going to love you for it. You're going to get a job. You're going to have a meaningful life, but it's a sustainable life. Mm -hmm. And most people, they don't know their identity. I think with the letters to your goddaughter, in a sense, you're helping identify her identity. Who is she as a person? What are the choices she's going to make that's going to make her happy? And if she keeps making choices that make her happy, how is she ever going to fail, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how I think about leadership. That's how I coach people about leadership. It always comes down to who you are. You are a unique individual that needs certain things. You surround, you build your world around you in that way. And it's a win-win situation. So you're always going to protect the little of you because that's like the kernel. That's everything there. Hmm. And when it resonates with the rest of the world and it's you know, congruent, I use the word congruent, mm -hmm. then you'll be happy. And it's surprising. You meet clients from all over the world and it's always the same problems for them. <laughs> they don't know their identity. They're making these massive decisions. They're getting married to someone who's nascent support their identity. How well do you think that's going to end? 
that's not going to end the rabbis. Yeah. Wow. That's um, that's profound what you're saying. And so, um, when we look at what is it that really creates moments of fulfillment for yes. our clients and for ourselves? These are moments of connection. They're not a moments of they're not moments of getting it my way. Yes, exactly. The, the ideas of getting it my way and whether this is like, I am more happy with a Mercedes Benz, right? Or I yeah. am more happy with something where it's a thing, then that's usually quite short lasting. And very soon it's going to be a different thing to, to keep up the hope for happiness. And, yes. and the same thing is for having it my way or Oh, I've I've sealed the deal the way I had to, right? Or something like this. Absolutely. I've managed the patient exactly according to protocol and algorithm or something like that. So there is a bit of satisfaction in that, but it's actually yes. very superficial. Yes. So the really deep satisfaction, the really deep fulfillment, a really deep sense of feeling alive and, and having spent a life, a, a day worth living. Yeah. <laughs> um, they come from moments of, at least for me, they come from moments where I feel part of a bigger connection. Yes. Where it's not about whether I get it my way or or somebody gets it yeah. their way or it's kind of a the football game situation, like yes. who scores how many points. Um, but it's actually about did we accomplish something together? Did we really live up to our values? Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's right. I always think about it that we make choices to interact with people. Mm -hmm. We decide we're going to interact with this person, we're not going to interact with this person. It's a choice. So if we chose to interact with this person, why don't we make it the best interaction possible? Mm -hmm. And I always think about this. um, You can't delight customers until you know their identity. Yeah. You can't delight them. And, you know, one of the things I do when we do coaching is I always tell people that I would like you to spend a week alone. Because what happens to a lot of people is that they put distractions into their life mm-hmm. to hide from themselves. They don't like who they are. But if you can spend a week alone by yourself, I mean, really alone, maybe read a book or something, but no babies, no distraction, you will find out who you are. And that's a very powerful thing because I recently had a situation where a client wanted to have a baby and we're talking about this and, and we realized that actually She's looking for a distraction. She wants to be busy. And I was telling you, if there's no joy in your life now, how will a baby give you joy? Mm-hmm. It's not going to give you joy. It's going to make you happy for a minute. But joy is something you give. It's not something you get from the world. So a very good test I tell people is spend a week alone. You'll be shocked at what you learn about yourself. <laughs> the things that you don't want to think about, you're going to think about. The things, because a lot of people, they are busy to avoid certain thoughts. But, you know, avoiding thoughts is like a pain in your shoulder. It's telling you there's something there. Don't avoid it. Lean into it and figure out what's there, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to go away unless you deal with it. So, yeah, that's why I said it. All your work is leadership. I mean, it's pure leadership. I don't see it anywhere else. It's <laughs> one of the best leadership books I've actually read in many years. Oh, cool. <laughs> Yeah, so it's about a self-exploration, right? It's a curiosity about ourselves and about our environment. And I love the idea where, you know, your your suggestion to actually, you know, take a week and and see what happens, you know? It's, um, there's 
one thing I really enjoy every day yeah. is, is to start the day with an intentional time of doing nothing. <laughs> so that's yeah, my little, that's like that's my little week away every yeah. day. Yes. Right. And, and then what happens typically when I just sit doing nothing, like you can actually do nothing doing. That's also yeah. a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 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 okay zen meditation like now i am doing empty mind right or something like this right <laughs> no i, I know um, exactly what you mean i mean just what you're saying is just sit there and do nothing yeah exactly just sit and and watch what happens right just observe the theater right and then you yeah. see thoughts coming in and you see stuff happening and emotions coming up and body sensations and you're hearing things seeing things whatever and and they're just noticed and they're just labeled and otherwise there's nothing else happening, right? I'm just, I'm not going with, I'm not pursuing any of those impressions. I'm not going with any of those thoughts. They just, I just see them coming in and going out. Yes. And, and just to see how difficult that is. It's hard. It's very, it's very humbling. It's, and, and at the same time, doing this every day, even if it's just for a few minutes, that's actually, that's actually very healing. Um, yes. that's actually very helpful. And sometimes what follows from me there is listening. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's kind of setting the tone for the day. And, and if I don't set the tone for the day, like intentionally, like this is what I want the mm -hmm. day to be. And I'm already in control mode. <laughs> then actually like, Oh, this is going to be a good day. Right. <laughs> this is already mm -hmm. Actually, I already lost it. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. to, to really listen to, you know, what's the mood of the day? What's, what is this? What might this day actually bring? Right. This is, this is opening up and this is actually it's intentional. Yeah. It's intentional curiosity that is somehow, it creates a superficial insecurity because it may be that I feel sad today, or it may be that some grunge is coming up or <laughs> yeah. something that I, don't want to be because i want it to be a positive day right <laughs> um, so then then uh, there's a possibility to just listen and see what it's like and to appreciate that this is where where appreciation comes in <laughs> and yes, it's a simple thing people don't do it enough and, and i like that uh, that exercise that you recommend just sitting and doing that and i'm going to try that i think it'll be yeah it's because not everyone has a week to take off right but yes. you can take a little bit of the morning off. That can be a routine. Taking off a week is phenomenal, absolutely. Um, and to really be alone and particularly then not being, you know, in TV and distraction mode and laptop and iPhone and whatever. So like there's a week alone means really like, ideally it's out there in nature with nothing yeah. available and no connectivity. So you're kind of really thrown you really recognize what distraction storm we're running otherwise. Yes. So that makes it very clear. Um, and as you say, if, if you just take a few minutes every day, it actually makes a huge difference. And, and we can bring it into the day. So one way for me to bring it into the day is to do very simple breathing techniques in the morning. Yes. That allow me to, if you like, connect heart and brain and see that that i create um what what the heart math people would call coherence mm -hmm. um or 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 an alignment and uh, where i'm basically not allowing 
Sir Busy (laughs) to be in control, but actually it has to be serving the heart intelligence, then that is something that can be rooted in breath work. And if I do, and if I do this, you know, for a few months, every morning, just a few minutes, it means that during the day, doing the same breathing exercise, if it's just for two or three breaths, it takes like five seconds. Yes. It has an incredibly resetting effect. So to me, this is one of the most powerful ways to rebalance, to recenter, is to kind of, you know, practice the breathing in my morning gym, if you like. Yeah. In my practice ground, so that when I'm out there, then um, there's a way to kind of find reset points and and to just check in with myself and see like am i am i on track here did i get lost again like oh yes. yeah i got lost again okay come back to center so that's well, that's, that's, that's true most people don't have check-in points yeah they go to the day and they let the environment hijack their state yeah but you have to have check-in points that wait i'm calling a second am i doing this right is this what i want to feel mm-hmm. is this how i want to react mm-hmm. and almost always the answer is no because once you get caught into the flow of things, it's bad. I mean, the one about taking time in the morning is very important because if you check your emails and then you set your day based on what someone sent you the night before, you're basically letting someone hijack your day. And you must never do that because then you'll never get anything done. Jan, thank you so much. That was one of the best podcasts we've done. I think this is going to be so useful for our listeners. I really enjoyed your book. I enjoyed speaking to you. I'm sure we'll be in touch and chat more and maybe get you on the show again. But it was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Really appreciate the conversation with you likewise. And I'd love to continue the conversation. I have a lot of questions for you. (laughs) Fantastic. I'll get the team to send you my contact details so we can keep chatting afterwards. Lovely. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. And give my regards to your family. And you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.